the story is just amazing. And, you know, a lot of the people don't think what they're doing is, is, is that big a deal. You know, they're just out there saying, well, I just always wanted to run a marathon or finish a half marathon. And, um, you know, and when you find out the story, their story and what they've overcome, it, it just blows me away. Welcome to the Feel Good Running Podcast, where our goal is to keep you motivated, inspired, and energized. As a runner, or perhaps you are looking for the right motivation to become one, you've definitely found the right place. We share inspirational stories from real runners, motivating running-related information, and much more to help you feel good about your running. And now your host and a longtime feel-good runner himself, Jim Lynch. Hello runners, new runners, experienced runners, everyday runners. You are listening to episode number 15. My name is Jim Lynch. This is my podcast, Feel Good Running, and I would like to welcome you. I know there's a lot of great running podcasts out there. You chose mine to listen to today, so I appreciate it. Thank you. Now, if you are a new listener, I hope you like the show. If you've listened to Feel Good Running, some of the other episodes, I appreciate that. And please share it. Share it with your friends, your running friends, your non-running friends, and on social media. It really would help to grow the show, and the show is growing. So that is because of you, the listening audience, and I appreciate it. All right, capiche? We all square there? Good. So, wow, do I have a treat for you this episode. I have the man, the legend, the mayor of running, the guy himself, Bart Yasso. Yes, you got to know who Bart Yasso is. If you don't know who Bart Yasso is and you're a runner and you are by a computer right now, I want you to go to Google and type in Bart Yasso and you're going to find out who Bart Yasso is real fast. First of all, Bart is a friend. I've known Bart for a while now, and I truly believe his influence on running over the last 35, 40 years has sculpted running and has brought it to where it is today. No doubt about it. And Bart has been a phenomenal runner in his career. He's run so many races, 1,500 races, actually over 1,500 races all over the globe. Heck, he may even have ran one on the moon and we don't even know about it. He's run all seven continents. He's actually biked across the United States twice. He's done Badwater. He's done Mount Kilimanjaro. Oh, yeah. And he also had a really lousy job. He worked for Runner's World for 31 years. And his title was the chief running officer. So they actually paid the guy to go run all these races all over the world. (sighs) Who'd want a job like that? Telling you, this guy is a legend. And you're going to really enjoy this conversation. It's pretty awesome, very casual. We talk about a lot of things, but it's mostly geared to you, the everyday runner, give you some inspiration and motivation. And there's some thoughts and opinions about certain topics that are going on and running today. So it's very enjoyable. Look forward to that coming up very soon. Bar Yasso. All right. So if you listen to episode number 14, I know we geared a little bit away from running It was about the core search team for the Amanda Eller rescue. That was a woman here on Maui that was lost in the forest for 17 days. That really got a lot of listenership, that episode. So I thank you. And unfortunately, there's been a gap since the last episode. 
Some of you may know, if you don't know, I am the co-race director of the Maui Marathon, and that's coming up on October 13th. And it's been taking up quite a bit of my time, and I have to put my focus and attention to where it's needed right now, and it happens to be needed with the marathon. However, it's getting back on track, and I want to deliver to you two episodes of Feel Good Running a Month. I know that uh, the feedback that I'm getting thus far is very good. I thank you. And I think you like the format of the show. I think you like the content of the show. I hope so. I have had some good comments and feel free to comment anytime you like at feelgoodrunning.com. So I'm a little humbled. I, I got an article written about me in the Maui News. Journalist Sarah Rupenthal thought enough of me. I met her a while back at a race and she wanted to do an interview with me. So it ran in the Maui News and uh, it was well received. I'm actually getting recognized a little bit out in the community. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but it's happening. And I appreciate Sarah's article. It's really, it was really well written. And uh, I was impressed. I was impressed with myself. I couldn't believe that I actually said some of this stuff. So I have a link to the article in the show notes if you want to read it. It's actually pretty good. And there's a, a picture of me. And don't scream when you see the picture. But this ran in the Maui News on Friday, August 16th. So enjoy it. I feel honored. I really do. And I'm very thankful. All right, folks, you know what? This summer's been hot, especially here on Maui. It's been hot and it's hard to run when it's really hot out. But you know what? We're at the end of August. It's uh, we're we're uh, we're ending the summer. Summer's ending. And that means fall's coming up. And you know what that means? It is going into fall race season. Yeah. There's a lot of races out there. You know what? Well, we got the best one, which is October 13th, and that's the Maui Marathon here on Maui. We even have Peter Sagal. He is the author of the Incomplete Book of Running and the host of NPR's Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. He's running our marathon, and he's going to be at our expo, and he's going to give a talk and a book signing. So if you were thinking about doing the Maui Marathon, there's another reason to come out and do it. Now, Peter is from Chicago, and he's personally raising funds for a program called Chicago Runs. And this program is a mission to promote the health and wellness of children in the Chicago area through innovative, engaging, and very sustainable running programs. So you can support that. And the proceeds from the book signing are going to go to Girls on the Run Hawaii chapter for their soulmate program. And if you become a soulmate, and it's $26, then you can get a 30% discount off of the Maui Marathon or the Maui Half Marathon. So consider that too. So there's a couple things that Peter is bringing to our event to help youth, no matter if it's in Chicago or Hawaii. And I have links to both programs in my show notes. But there's a lot of other ones that you may be running. You may be doing Chicago, New York, Twin Cities, Maybe a smaller marathon in a smaller community somewhere. Maybe you're doing a half marathon, 10K, 5K, maybe even ultra race. I don't know what you're doing, but I know that you're training right now and you're starting to get more intense in your training. And I hope everything's going okay and you're injury free. You know, it just seems like January, we were talking about new people coming into running and we were talking about the spring season and we're already already going into the fall season. So good luck. I hope you're all trained up and ready to rock and roll and enjoy whatever race you're doing. 
because it's 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 an awesome sport that we're in. The rewards and benefits are amazing physically, mentally, spiritually, no matter what. And when you get out there and you get to the start line and you run your race and cross the finish line, you're going to feel like a million bucks. Absolutely. So I'm very proud of you and good luck. And please, if you think about it, drop me a line and tell me how your race went and what race you did. That would be really awesome. All right, let's move on with the show because I know you want to get to Bart Yasso. You want to hear what the guy has to say. So let's move on with this episode's inspirational and motivational news. Searching anywhere and everywhere. Here is this episode's Feel Good Running News. There is an annual ultra relay that's broken into 19 segments and stretches 3,260 miles across America for the multiple sclerosis cure. Jamie Weiss from East Rutherford, New Jersey, ran the final segment from Sunbury, PA to New York City and finished on Friday, August 16th. That's the final segment, and it was 188 miles, and she did it in seven days. She raised an unbelievable $15,005, which was just $5 over her goal. I never knew this event existed, so I dug in a little further and found out a little bit more. Jill Kumlin is the inspiration behind the MS Run the U.S. She lived with MS for 36 years before she passed away in 2017 from complications from the disease. Executive director and founder Ashley Snyder, which happens to be the daughter of Jill, actually ran the entire inaugural 3,200 miles solo and doing so became the 16th woman to ever run across America. She never even trained for a marathon. Now, like most runs across America, the MS Run the U.S. starts at the Santa Monica Pier and so did this on Thursday, April 11th. So how does this work? Well, there's an online application process to participate in a segment. Each runner that's selected for a segment commits to fundraising $10,000 over 10 months and run an average of 160 miles over a week's period. Once accepted, each runner spends months training and raising money. And during their segment, during the actual run, they have the organization's road crew team aiding them along the way and all funds raised are used to support the organization's mission to raise awareness of the ms disease aid research and help those living with disability due to ms what is most interesting is these are for the most part ordinary runners not the hard tried and true major league ultra runners and that is impressive they feel the need to use running for a positive purpose christina fireball mayan from lincoln nebraska actually ran two segments this year for a total of 312 miles and on her page she has raised thus far $8,919. I've placed links to the website and social media pages on the show notes for this episode and you can get that at feelgoodrunning.com. That way you can see what this is all about, learn a little bit about the 2019 runners and more about the MS cause and you know hey maybe you can fill out an application yourself and get involved in 2020. And you can still donate for another month or so at their site. You really need to check this out. I find so many amazing running things doing this podcast, and I'm going to work on getting Executive Director Ashley Snyder on a future episode. This is a great story. 
So there seems to be some hype about these new running shoes, the Nike Joyride Run Flyknit Sneakers. As a matter of fact, here are some article headlines that I discovered. These new high-tech sneakers got me hooked on running in a week. This sneaker gave me the motivation to finally embrace running. Can the Nike Joyride actually make you enjoy running? Nike's new shoe is made for people that hate running. All right, so what's the big deal? How does a pair of running shoes result in such giddy headlines? You still need to run, right? Your heart rate will still go up, right? I would assume if you are new to running, you will still be out of breath and cough up a lung at first, no matter what running shoes you are wearing, right? But now we have these mystical shoes available by Nike that will magically turn non-runners into runners. That will turn instantaneously those that think running sucks and is boring into, well, running lovers. Well, I don't know how to explain this, so let's find out what the heck the magic is all about here. At first look at the pictures, these shoes are ugly. I mean, if you have been running for a bit and you see a picture of these things, I'm sure you will agree that they are very... Very unattractive. So what is attractive about the Nike Joyride? Well, it's the cushioning system, so they say. The sole of the shoe has thousands of tiny foam beads. They call them TPE beads, whatever that is. And they're distributed to four different pod areas to provide cushioning and absorb the shock with a comfortable bounce and very comfortable ride. They're supposed to bring joy back into running, so that's why they call them the Joyride. Actually, you can see the beads through the transparent material and they look like dipping dots in the bottom of your shoe. And so these beads are apparently the magic. Looking at a few of the reviews, many say this shoe is really for the beginner and for very short distances like three to four miles or a 5K and not for long distances. But some say that they can be used for a recovery run. I put a picture and a few links into the show notes so you can check these out for yourself and you can find it by going to feelgoodrunning.com and of course if you wear them i would like to hear your opinion now i will say one thing if this gets non-runners off the couch and running to the point that it's enjoyable and they stick with it then i will be the first to say go out there and get yourself a pair but remember with all that cushion and comfort that absorbs the pain it will still hurt quite a bit when you have to dish out a hundred and eight for a pair of these things. Who knows, though? When they wear out, maybe, just maybe, those beads really are dipping dots, and you can have yourself a fake ice cream. Just a thought. And finally, runners are really some of the most giving, kind people you will ever meet in your life. Recently, there's been a video circulating on social media from a woman with an Instagram handle of Antonella212. In the video, it shows an elderly runner, maybe in his 60s, that stops while running in the financial district of New York City. He takes off his running shoes and socks and gives them to a homeless man. It appears he says a few things, probably encouraging words, then walks off in his bare feet. This person has not been identified, but I will tell you, it is very heartwarming to watch. Now, Antonella212 is upset with herself because she did not run over and thank this guy and get his name. But regardless, she's got some video of it, and I have that posted on feelgoodrunning.com in the show notes for this episode. I'll tell you what, runners are so awesome. 
And now it's time to welcome this episode's very special running guest. Bart Yasso. Yes, the real running legend. Bart Yasso, the mayor of running. You know, he's a friend, and I am honored to have him as my guest this episode. We had a really nice coffee shop-like chat about running, the joy of running, and a bunch of different topics. Now, Bart is now retired after 31 years at Runner's World as the chief running officer, but he still announces the races and is the man who cheers on every runner as they come across the finish line of every marathon that he announces. And when I say every runner, I mean every runner down to the very last person that crosses that finish line. How about that? Bart has run in more than 1,500 races in every continent of the world. He even biked across the United States twice and ran a race outside of Spokane, Washington, naked. Mm-hmm. True story. He's been inducted into the Running USA Hall of Champions and recently inducted into the Roadrunners Club of America Distance Running Hall of Fame. Now, there's something I want you to do right now. Yes, right now, unless you're driving, you got to be by a computer. Bart is an author and wrote one of the best running books to this day, and it's called My Life on the Run, The Wit, Wisdom, and Insights of a Road Racing Icon. This is a great read packed with wonderful, inspirational stories that will make you laugh, cry, and be fully inspired by this great man. Now, you can buy it or download it wherever you get your books. I have a link on the show notes at feelgoodrunning.com. Definitely get this book. Do it now or whenever you get to a computer. I wanted to do that before the interview because sometimes you get halfway through the interview, you forget about it. And I wanted you to make sure you get this book. Get the book. Now, get it. All right, folks, it's time. Now it's time. This is me talking to the legend, Bart Yasso. How's your golf game? Not as good as it should be, but I'm still playing. Uh, I just don't play enough for some reason. I, I should have a lot of free time to play, but uh, I don't know. But I get out every once in a while and have fun doing it. It is fun to, to get out there and play. Now, Bart, you, you started back when you were a kid working at a golf course, right? I did. I caddied. You got that right. And actually, believe it or not, I live about a half a mile from that golf course that I started caddying on. We- 1966, just a a few years ago when I first started caddying. How'd, how'd you get involved with golf? Did you just go down there and ask for a job or were you really into? I mean, that was, that was one of the local jobs that they said, you know, uh, make good money. And, you know, it was hard work, especially when you're 11 years old and a guy has a 40 pound golf bag full of stuff. And, you know, I don't know what I weighed, but it wasn't much over 40 pounds. <laughs> But uh, but it was just one of those deals, uh, you know, great summer job, caddy, make some money. And man, I loved it. And I was outdoors, which was the key thing to be outside and, uh, you know, spend the summer walking around a golf course. I loved it. Oh, yeah, I, I know. I there's I played in a tournament recently here on Maui and my friend puts it on every year. And th- there's no reason to put a golf club in my hands. It's a complete disaster. I don't even know why I do that. I'm I'm actually thinking about getting rid of my clubs because it's it's that bad. I uh, I get paired up with all these really good golfers, and then I need to spend two weeks afterwards in therapy because it's been so so much of an yeah. issue. 
<laughs> I got you, Jim. I got you. Yeah. So you're uh, you're from Pennsylvania, Emanus, uh, but you were born, you grew up in Bethlehem, right? I grew up in Bethlehem. Yep. And then the Runner's World office, and that's how I ended up at Runner's World in 1987. Runner's World relocated from the Bay Area uh, in California to Pennsylvania, purchased by a company by the name of Rodale. And uh, Rodale bought Runner's World, and then I was living in Bethlehem. Uh, a little town that uh, Rodale, the company, was in Emmaus, Pennsylvania, which is not far from Bethlehem. Uh-huh. So, yeah, I ended up working at Runner's World, and, you know, I stayed there 31 years and retired from Runner's World after 31 years. But, yeah, I would have never ended up at Runner's World if Runner's World didn't relocate into the area that I was living in. It was just kind of a, a lucky thing that had happened and uh, turned into a dream job. It's crazy to think about. It was a cool journey. And, uh, I, you know, I really lived, did live a dream because I always – always say I used to do these long runs and, you know, have these dreams out there while you're out there running for 22, 23, 24 miles thinking, well, I got to get a job where I can just go out and run and travel the world. And, you know, it was kind of just uh, more of a pipe dream than reality, but it actually turned into reality. Uh, unbelievable how it turned out. Well, you know, you and I have some similarities. We're both from Pennsylvania. I grew up over in Erie, PA. Oh, far end of the state. On yeah. the other other side of the state. My family was, was Catholic. I even had a priest brother. My father was of Slovakian descent. Oh, my God. Yeah. My uh, dad's Slovak. I went to Catholic school. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can't escape that when you're in Pennsylvania. And then... um you know, back in my high school days, I uh, also drank Boone's Farm and started drinking oh, beer when yeah. I was 16 years old. Smoked cigarettes between classes. But uh, yeah. as soon as that, that bell rang, we all went out there. And I, I think there was a term that we used back then called hot boxing. They passed that cigarette around and the the end of it would get so hot at the end. And then, you you know, you, the bell would ring, you get back to your class and all that. It was crazy. Oh, I didn't smoke yeah. weed. I know you did. I read, I, I went back and read your book. It was just so yep. good. That book is so good. It's 11 years old already. Yeah. And, my life on the run. It's crazy. Oh, uh, and then I had, uh, I also had, you had a 1968 Cougar XR7. I had a 69 Cougar XR7 convertible. Oh my God. Yeah. That was a classic car. I had a the 1968 Cougar XR7 high-performance car. I should not have had a high-performance car. That thing was fast. It was, yeah, it, it was a it was an eight-cylinder, and I, if I remember correctly, you could punch the gas, and the ear back tires would just spin forever. That's what I remember. Yeah, that car was much faster than a than a than a street car should be, in my estimation. Because now I don't, I'm a slow driver these days, but a little different when you're a kid. But yeah, I got that car when I turned 16 years old. Those are, those are, those are fun, fun machines to have. And uh, it was good for the ladies too, to have a a powerful convertible, you know? (laughs) Yeah, mine wasn't convertible. I had, uh, uh, I had a hard top, but it was a burgundy with a white hard top. But I know a lot of them were convertibles, but mine was a hard top. 
And uh, I actually, I still have a picture of me lying on the hood the morning after my senior prom. So I'll see if I can find that. If I can, I'm going to post it on the show notes. Uh, that would be this. really cool. Jim. <laughs> I think I got rid of all old photos of me. I, uh, I don't, I don't want to see them, but I don't know. I don't, I don't ever, I never found any photos of my car for some reason. I don't know. Just didn't take any photos back then. Very different today when we carry our phone around, which is oh. technically a camera as much as it is a phone. I, I know, especially with races now and getting photographers to do your race. It's hard to do anymore because there's so many cell phones out there. They're not making any money. Yeah, you, I got it, Jim. That industry has changed tremendously. So you're, you're, uh, your father was tough. From what I when I read your book. Yeah, he was a man of his time. You know, I don't hold any grudges against him or, you know, he was just a tough guy. And, you know, all guys were that worked at the steel company. And that's just the way they, you know, you know, the way it was in the 50s and 60s. I was born in the mid 50s. So just the way it happened. You couldn't satisfy him. No matter what I did, go out and win a race. Ah, you could probably win by three or four minutes, not just by one minute. I'm like, OK, <laughs> I thought I did pretty well, <laughs> but you know, he was, uh, it's just the way he was. It seems like you were really tight with your brother, George. He, he's the one that yeah. actually got you really motivated yeah. with I, your first race. Yeah, I was very lucky. Uh, you know, I didn't get along with my dad at all and we just knocked heads all the time. But my older brother, George, uh, who was four years older than, than I am, uh, he was just, uh, he was really my father figure my whole life, to be honest. And, uh, you know, he was the one that really helped me out. And, you know, when I needed direction, when I needed focus, when uh, I needed guidance, he was always there for me. He was the one that really told me, he said, you know, you could do stuff with your running. If you really take it seriously, you know, you got some talent, get out there and do it. And, you know, who knows what will happen. And that's what I did. Took his advice and, uh, you know, never dreaming that it would be a job someday and, and that I would end up running all over the world and do these amazing races and, uh, you know, just an, incredible the way the journey turned out. But by far, Jim, it's, you know, and, and I know you feel the same way I do. It's the running that, you know, when I look back, I've been doing this stuff for 43 years, worked in the industry for 30 plus years. Uh, it's the people in the running community is what I remember most and what I'm most uh, happy about that I got in the running. It really, you know, I won some cool races and that's fun to do. But honestly, it's not what I remember. It's not what means the most to me. It is the, the people I encountered over the years. And uh, it's a special community of people. And I put you on one of those lists, Jim, because I remember meeting you at the Maui Marathon years ago. And I thought, wow, this guy's a cool dude, man. I got to get to know this guy. <laughs> and uh, you're heavily involved with the running community, so I know you know what it, what it's all about. Maui Marathon is going to be, you know, it's, will be in September will be the 49th running of the Maui Marathon, right? Uh, we moved it to October and it is the 49th. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, uh, you met a, you met a fellow. He's the uh, race director, and I'm the co-race director. John Emerson. I think you were on yeah, a panel no, with him a few John. years yeah. ago. Yeah, I saw the last time I saw John, we were in uh, we were in Mexico at the Los Cabos Half Marathon. John and I have become you know really close. He's VP or he's the president of the Valley Isle Road Runners out here. I'm the vice president, 
and then we do the marathon. So we work very, very close together and it's, uh, it's great. You know, you, you just mentioned that about the runners there, we had our time when we were in shape. Um, you know, you obviously have been a much faster and more elite type runner your times, but I, you know, I was a mid three hour uh, marathon, like 330 to 340 uh, in my heyday. It was fun when I did it. I accomplished my goals and I did all 50 states and you did all seven continents and about 1500 races. I did 101 marathons and, you know, it got to the point where I was just getting a big thrill out of seeing other people accomplishing. And you've seen it over and over again, uh, you know, and, and that's what I really want to talk about today. Besides, sure. you know, some of your other stuff is is just some of the stories of people that, you know, they come in and they're shy and they're overweight and they come into running and all of a sudden you watch them change their whole life change right in front of your eyes and accomplish things that they never thought that they could accomplish. You know, you've had to see tons of that. Uh, it's incredible. I mean, uh, I do a lot of race announcing these days and, uh, you know, I'm at that finish line and I always make my flight the next day because I don't leave that finish line until there's nobody out there. I don't care what, you know, sometimes they close down the finish line, but there's still some people out on the course. I stay no matter what, because I'll tell you, a lot of the stories happen in the back of the pack. People that really have overcome so many obstacles just to get to that starting line. For them to cross the finish line is an absolute miracle. And uh, I got to witness a lot of them over the years. I just, uh, the stories just amaze me. And, you know, a lot of the people don't think what they're doing is, is, is that big a deal. You know, they're just out there saying, well, I just... Always wanted to run a marathon or finish a half marathon. And, um, you know, and when you find out the story, their story and what they've overcome, it, it just blows me away on, uh, you know, how matter of factly they think they're not doing something that's so special when they really are. And that's what I love about our sport. I always say our sport of running is an opportunity. And, uh, you know, I've been a race director for many years and put on a race directed a lot of events. And uh, I always looked at race directing as just creating an opportunity that someone can go out and express themselves and accomplish something that they never thought possible. And, uh, you know, there are obviously when you have a race, you got winners, you got the first fastest people that cross the line, the first male, first female, first masters runner over 40, male, female. Uh, and, you know, and that's awesome. And then it turns in after that to just people going up against the clock, going up against their own personal best or personal records. And then you got those people that just want to cross that line because uh, crossing that line is going to change their life. And, uh, you know, I always said uh, never limit where running can take you is one of my taglines that I've used uh, for years. And I mean that in every way you, we limit ourselves physically, geographically, emotionally, spiritually. We kind of you can get in a comfort zone and say, OK, you know, I finish this marathon. I'm good run, whatever time it is. But you never know what can happen if you really try to go for it. Or more importantly, you never know what can happen where you inspire someone else to pick it up and have them change their life. 
Uh, so, you know, there's a lot of ways to look at uh, never limit where running could take you. You could pass it on to other people, which, Jim, you and I got a special, uh, you know, being involved with a running club, being involved with a race, you can do it a lot more than uh, than than you think possible. How many people you connect with over the years? It's it's a pretty cool place to be. It it is a very cool place to be, and it's also so cool to see people that have overcome challenges, have lost weight, have maybe gone through a divorce and and got into running who have built a whole new friendship community out there. You know, in your book, uh, My Life on on the Run, my favorite chapter, and you have some really good chapters in there, but I think the one that touched me the most uh, was Clean Streaks. Oh, Um, yeah. Those guys were, uh, well, there were a couple of women in there, 12, 13 guys and two women. But yeah, those, I walked into that rehabilitation place. They were... uh, they had to go to this halfway house after their they served their jail sentence before they were let back in society. Uh, and this halfway house was to kind of teach them the, how they can work back in the mainstream and, you know, make a life for themselves and get a job and not end up back in jail. That was the whole idea of this program. And I went into that guy and said, hey, I'm going to turn these guys into runners. And he looked at me like I was from another planet. He said... You know, what are you talking about? And after I ran with those, the clean streaks, the people that were in this program and ran with them a couple of times a week and then got them to do this relay together. Man, they caught on the power of running because it changed these people. It was an incredible thing to physically witness, uh, you know, because these guys were these runners were struggling to cover a mile in those first workouts and then eventually got them up to five miles. And eventually the relay they did was 20, 24 miles, but they did, you know, five people on a team. Uh, but it was really cool to do. And they're basically, you know, they were worried about my safety. And I said, no, nah, I can think I can handle myself around these folks. And it was really the drugs that took these people down. So they were three peat offenders of a drug offense. And, you know, they already served their time in jail. And until they're released to the public, they had to spend time in this halfway house that I uh, I worked with. And then uh, and then that's where I trained them for three or three months and then got on to do this relay. It was it was a pretty cool experience. But I always I always used to say to myself, you know, when I walked in my office at Runner's World, you know, I got this opportunity working at Runner's World magazine. I got to every day find a group or a person or a, something, take an organization, whatever it is, to get new runners out there to convince people to take up this sport that aren't running today or whatever day I walked into my office. And Clean Streaks is a perfect example. I just got this crazy idea to, to work with some they were considered habitual drug criminals to uh, turn them into runners. And, you know, things happen that you never could could never script. There was a judge that was in on a relay team who actually sentenced a lot of these people. And he just happened to be a county judge and he was a runner and he was on a relay team and he couldn't really by law connect with them because you know it's not uh not what he could do outside in the general public but 
he came up to me like a week after the race that, that they did. And he, he thanked me and uh, he told me who he was. And he said, you know, I couldn't say anything that day, but I paid attention to it really closely. And he said, it's, it's pretty powerful program. He thanked me profusely for what I did. And I'll never forget that. So these, how these guys were literally out there running not knowing that they could have been running and passing or maybe the, the judge passed them who gave them a, the physical sentence to put them in jail. I mean, what are the odds of that? It, you know, it, exactly. It, you know, yeah. how, how did you handle that? Um, because, you know, I get emotionally attached when I get involved with running and I see people. I mean, you know, there's not a lot that brings tears to my eyes anymore in this that I've experienced a lot, but anything to do with running does when I see somebody coming across the finish line and you've worked with these folks for, for quite a while to get them trained yeah. to do this. And then, uh, when it was over, you know, I know that they all went on and in, in your book, you also said that you ran into one of them who yeah, was a Kelly. It's guy Kelly. I did run into him and I still hear from him every once in a while. I get an email from him and he says he's out there running and happily married and has kids and he turned his life around. And and he was one of the one of the few the other ones you haven't heard of and some of them did end up going back to prison afterwards. I yeah, think. I tried to follow up with some of them and there's a lot of law you gotta follow, like, you know, how you can communicate with them and are you still allowed to communicate with them when they're in these programs? And there's a lot of uh, stuff that gets in the way that makes it a little bit harder. Uh, but, you know, I got another friend that we feature in runner's world, Bill O'Shields. And he was a guy, he was a young guy that just went down the wrong path, did everything the wrong way, ended up in jail. And that guy reached out to me when he got out of jail and said he wanted to be a runner and, you know, I got a lot of crazy <laughs> mail and email messages over the years. And I, I just felt some, something about this guy. You know, he, he was so honest about, you know, he said I was wrong. I'm not telling anybody I, I deserve what I got, but I want to change my life. And that guy really changed his life. And running is the thing that gave him focus. And he's still out there running. I, I Man, I just see messages that uh from from this guy bill shields and you know he does a lot of he tells his story a lot he goes to a lot of church groups and speaks about uh you know what he's overcome and it's pretty powerful he used running to change his life and you know now he's got a great family and it's really cool to see the thing about running is we just give everyone the chance you know prove yourself just go out there pin that bib number on and go out and see what you got and that's the beauty of it. We, and, you know, we don't know everyone's backstory on how they, how they got to that starting line. Uh, my, one of my last, uh, assignments at Runner's World, I worked with Aaron Strout and we worked on a book called Race Everything. And right. Runner's World wanted me to do this book, Race Everything, because they said, dude, you literally have raced everything. You've run all over the world. You've run every kind of distance. Uh, so when I came out with Race Everything, uh, my mindset was, when the gun goes off, we all follow the same path to the finish line. But we all have taken very unique paths to get to the starting line. Right. That's truly what makes our sport so unique. And, uh, you know, we don't we don't hold it against anyone, you know, what path they took to get to that starting line. We're just happy they're there. And, uh, you know, 
my clean streaks or my buddy Bill Shields are perfect examples. They're great people, great citizens, and you know they did stuff wrong, but that's uh, they they served their time and they moved on. You know it, what? What else is so amazing about running that I have enjoyed my entire life, especially when I got involved with running groups. It wasn't until two thousand and one that I got involved with a running group, and that was the Reston Runners in Reston, Virginia. Oh, sure, yep, yeah. And then, and I moved back to uh, Colorado, Denver, and then uh, Runners Edge of the Rockies, David Manthe's group out there. When you're with a running group and you run with people, you could be running with the CEO of a major company or mm-hmm. somebody that just uh, got out of prison or whatever. But when you're out there running, it does not matter one bit. You, you're just another runner and you share your running stories. And and it's it's such a just such a non-threatening sport to be in, you know? Uh, yeah. And, you know. People that there's so many people out there right now that don't think running is for them. They always say, oh, I could never be a runner. No, I'm never going to run. And then, I, you know, I always had this mindset that all I had to do is get people to take those first couple steps, get them to the first group run, whether it's at a running store or a running club or get them to that first race. And I said, once they're there. I don't have to do a thing because the running community will take over. They're going to go to this running group, whether it's at a running store or like I say, or the, or the running club puts on a group run, they're going to meet someone and they're going to be hooked because, because this person's going to take them under their wing and tell them, look, we got you covered. You're going to be a runner. Just trust us. And that's the coolest thing about our sport. Yeah. There's some unlikely people. I, I, I'll never forget this woman, Amy Downs, who I just actually got to see this past April. Uh, she's from Oklahoma City, and she was in the bombing at the Murrah building, and she was she worked in the building, and she was buried alive after that bomb went off, literally buried alive at her desk, covered in concrete. And she happened to be obese at the time. She was very, very overweight. And she lay there, buried in concrete, had a little place where she could get some air and stay alive. And, uh, you know, those brave first responders and great people got her out of there alive. And, you know, when she realized that she literally had a second chance at life after, you know, you know, 168 people perished that day. Uh, she knew she wanted to make change and she didn't want to live being obese and, and then they started the Oklahoma City Marathon. I believe it was four years after the bombing is when it started. And then she's turned into a runner and finished the Oklahoma City Marathon. Like, you know, what what a path to take to get to a starting line. Literally uh, obese. And, you know, I guarantee you, her, you know, the weight she was at, she couldn't run a block. And then, unfortunately, being in the building when those bombs went off and being buried alive, I, it has to be the scariest thing to be buried alive, not knowing what happened, where you are. You're literally laying on our desk just underneath tons of concrete. How long there. did it take it to get to her to I, save her? I don't remember exactly. Her story, it shakes me up so much when I talk to her. I, I don't remember exactly how long she was buried till she was freed. Uh, but it was a while because it, you know, she was one of those people in the 
opening of the building that they were able to find. And the, the dogs came in and told this first, you know, the responders where these people were. And uh, to go from that to, to changing your life because of that experience and then uh, to become a runner. Like I guarantee you, Amy, she was she would consider herself the last person in the world to become a runner prior to that day. But it happened. It's an amazing journey. Well, the tra- traumatic trauma of the whole thing of losing several people that you worked with and knew probably yes. personally because it's a small community out there. And then yep. having the experience of being buried alive, running healed her. It was a vehicle for her to get her self-confidence back and to believe in herself and believe in humanity again. I get it. I see that. Yeah. And when you see her, uh, I saw her at the finish line this year. I think she did the 5K. And then she was there and her husband did the marathon. And she she was right at that finish line when he came in. That was pretty cool. And she is... Uh, you know, to see her at the finish line smiling and being proud of everyone crossing that line. It's a it's a pretty powerful to think where she came from to where she ended up. You you just never know. I know I, I interviewed a uh, person. I had an episode. Her name is Bonnie Vandera. Her story was she's an EMT. Her partner was an EMT and they were together for two years, not romantically, but just as partners. He got cancer and he asked her if she would go to uh, help him get to some of the cancer treatments and radiation mm-hmm. and all that chemotherapy sessions. And uh, one day she's at home and she was a runner before, but not a not fast runner, but a runner. He texted her or called her and said, I'd like to come over for a few minutes. And he did. And next minute she was on the floor screaming and she didn't know what happened. And then she he said, calm down, turn around, turn around. And then he shot her in the head a second time. And then he took and beat her fingers and broke her fingers. And then he took off and she crawled. She was able to keep her faculties with her. And she crawled to her neighbor's house and uh, her neighbor opened the door. Well, this guy ended up, he ended his life right outside of her place. She ended up, this was, this was in 2017. Uh, yep. I think it was 2017. No, I'm sorry. It was 2018 that this happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then she uh, just recently, this year, she, without her walker for the first six miles, walked the uh, Little Rock Marathon. And and I was there. I was doing races. Oh, you were. Did you you meet her? I brought her in. I'll never forget this story. She is an amazing person. and, And what? Oh, my gosh. I just... How she survived, I have no idea. I know. I didn't understand her story at first. You know, how, who shot who? I, it was hard to, to figure it out, but then you understand what happened. She, oh, yeah. uh, yeah, he wanted to end his life, but he wanted to take her life first and then end, end his life. I'm like, God, what a very twisted thing. It, but, it was. I had to, I had to talk to her and it was, it was an extremely amazing interview, the podcast episode. And, and she's just listen back. definitely, she, she was, it was cool to see her cross the line. We were making a big deal when she came in. It was a amazing, amazing accomplishment to do what she did. If someone is determined, if someone is given that opportunity to go out and express themselves and to overcome something like that. And they need something to prove to themselves that can then take them through other facets of their life. You know, just something that they can just be proud of. 
and Bonnie finishing a Little Rock Marathon. That was it was pretty cool. That was that was amazing. And she wants me to come out and do it with her. If it's not next year, it's going to be the year after. Um, let's talk about you for a second, Bart. First sure. of all, I want want people to know I've been running. My first marathon was in 1989 in Los Angeles, and my brother got me into it. He challenged me. I played around with running before that, but didn't get real serious until till 1989 when I lived out in L.A. But, you know, you and I have been around for a long time. You remember the old days of of uh, races where you just put, put on your number and went out. We didn't have all this technical stuff and yeah, there was a couple training programs like Hell Higdon or Jeff Galloway. Oh, yeah. You pick up a book and uh, you go from there. But you have a very strong resume of things that you've done. And fortunately, you the stars aligned and you were able to be with Runner's World. But you've run seven continents. You biked across the USA two times. You Twice, did, yeah. You did yeah. Bad Water in 1989. Yeah. yeah, back when I was 146 miles, I still I, I don't save a lot of stuff, but I still have a lot of the bad water stuff, the shirt and the ent- entry form back when we had entry forms before everything was electronic. And everything says bad water 146. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I got a lot of my stuff, too. I have a strong feeling I did the L.A. Marathon in 1989. Also, I have to look that up somehow. My first marathon was 1980. Uh, but I do remember. When L.A. started, you know, I went out there every year for Runner's World, and I think I did it in 89, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it was March 5th, 1989. I'll never forget it because I ran in with my brother, and he challenged me, and I he dropped out. He got the flu on the way out, and so oh. I was never let him down, never let him down on that one, um, even though oh. he would have kicked my butt. I know that. You've done Mount Kilimanjaro, you know, you've you've done a lot of, of fun races, too. I don't know what would be a better title, if it's the uh, chief running officer of Runner's World or the director of Bear Buns. I, I really don't yeah, know. Yeah, there you go. I don't know yeah, how you put that on a resume. Crazy races over the years, but I'm telling you, they were all fun. That's the key. Yeah. But, you know, in all this, you had a a major challenge and and still I'm sure have a major challenge and you you acquired Lyme disease. I contracted Lyme disease four times over a, about a 25 year span and it beat me up a lot. Did a lot of damage to my body and screwed up my joints and a lot of problems. But, you know, it's one of those things. I, I certainly talk about Lyme disease because I, uh, I get a lot of people that reach out to me that need help and want advice. But when it comes to the running part of it, you know, I really just keep it to myself. I mean, it really it's it it really does in your running. There's no doubt about it. But, you know, it's one of those things that uh, I had a lot of good years. So I feel very fortunate. You know, I was unfortunate to get it, but uh, I feel very lucky that I was uh, able to accomplish, do the things I did. and uh, Never look at it in a negative sense. You know, it happened. Nothing I can do. I just got to. Got to move on. Uh, yeah, I just can't believe that I contracted it four times. <laughs> Was that a reoccurring, is Lyme disease reoccurring? Where- well, you do get a lot of residual things, uh, but I had four different infections. Uh, when you're, uh, you know, when you get a Western blot test and the Borrelia is so high, they know it's a reinfection. And I always had the bullseye and knew right where the uh, tick bite was. But, you know, 
it's one of those things. It uh, it's not what you want to have as a runner, trust me. But I fought back a lot, and uh, I don't. I, my body doesn't have that much fight left in it these days. But I still get out there and run. I'm, just, you know, I ran five miles this morning. I was happy as could be. I was out there running, uh, average right around 12 minute miles on this five mile course this morning and, uh, called my girlfriend Ann when I finished and, you know, she asked me about my run and I said, Oh my God, I felt so good out there. It was unbelievable. And, uh, you know, it had nothing to do with the pace. She knows when I say it that way, she knows that I just physically felt good, that I was able to do it and was not in a lot of pain. I was running slowly, but man, was it, uh, I don't get many days like that. So it was pretty cool. Oh, it's a good time of the year to run too. You got some nice weather out there. Yeah, I'm I'm a heat guy. I like the heat, and my body likes the heat. It was just uh, one of those days. I just felt like a runner out there. I was able to move fluidly. A lot of day, I have a lot of days where I can't do that. Yeah, I I hear you. I'm out here in in Maui, and we we've been having very hot summer it's been in the 90s quite a bit and it's been very dry actually i'm looking outside and this might be the second day that it's rained since april so i'm real happy about that i might even go out for a run later in this stuff just to enjoy it yeah Um, we get a lot of rain here you know i was in pennsylvania last year my brother he's he lives in pittsburgh and he's um he unfortunately is going through cancer bout right now and so i went out and spent a couple weeks with him and he he's over in Carnegie, and I went over to the why well, was there Montour Trail, which is I guess a very long trail. And oh, I yeah. and I noticed in your in your book you mentioned that you know you may have contracted it in Eastern Pennsylvania, and I noticed signs out on the Montour Trail to be careful because there's deer out here and the ticks and oh, Lyme yeah. disease and all that. Yeah, see that that's one of the biggest misconceptions and one of the things I always one of the messages I always try to get across to people is the first time I contracted it was in Connecticut and then the next three times I'm positive I got it in eastern Pennsylvania and it's and Lyme disease is very very prevalent in eastern Pennsylvania. You know, the first time I got it I was just finished this 50 mile race in Connecticut and you know the race director said hey can you hang around for the award ceremony and said sure I'll hang around and kind of just laid in this grassy field you know because I was wiped out from running 50 miles I got the tick bite on the back of my neck and didn't know it I knew there was something on the back of my neck I knew it the next day but I really didn't know what it was and I never even heard of Lyme disease at that point, this was in 1990. And then, uh, <laughs> sure enough, I was, you know, having a lot of problems and couldn't run and just sick all the time. And, and then it took a while to get diagnosed because there was not, uh, back then, 1990, not a lot of people knew about Lyme disease, including people in the medical field. But then I did get diagnosed correctly and it was Lyme disease. And, you know, they, knew the bullseye that you get and the bite that I had and the tick, you know, the whole deal. And then the next three episodes I had were the same thing. And I, But it seems like every, when I get a new bite, a new infection and get sick again, I get sicker each time. There's more complications and more problems. What are you going to do, man? Well, I give I, you. I, I give do you. everything I can to prevent it. But, but, but I'm saying one of the misconceptions is people think, 
you know, people say, oh, my God, you got Lyme disease four times. You must like live in the woods and just spend all your time in the woods. I'm like, no, you you can get it in your living room if you have a cat or a dog that goes out in your yard in eastern Pennsylvania. Like you be, They can bring it in and the tick falls off of them and it's on your couch. Uh, or same thing, you know, we have a lot of signage now in eastern Pennsylvania. Be aware of grassy areas like parks and golf courses everywhere there are ticks in all those places but people just have this idea that you have to go deep into the woods and that's where the ticks are and that is not the case yeah there are some obstacles out there but i i have to give you a lot of credit bart because in your book and all the races that you did and you just plowed right through everything and you never let anybody down i remember the uh, you were pacing a group uh they needed yeah. to. They needed to qualify for Boston, and Amby yeah. was giving you. You know, here's a guy that he was almost. You know, that was Amby's yeah. <laughs> right? I was at Chicago Marathon when we, being runners, well, we started to pace teams at at races back in 1995, and now a lot of races have. You know, there are a lot of different pace teams, and uh, it's a big deal now. It was very rare back in the. Back in the day, but we started in 1995 at the St. George Marathon. So in 97, we said, okay, we got to do a big race and pace. And we picked Chicago. And they always gave me the three hour group. So we had to break three hours on the marathon. So I was, you know, back then I was always in 240 shape. So running three hours was easy to do. You know, it was just like going out for a long run. But I got pretty sick in uh, June, July, and August. And uh, But I asked Amby, I said, I, you know, I did this 10-mile race two weeks before Chicago. I said, I'm back. I can do this. Don't worry about me. I can handle it. He, he was worried. He was. <laughs> when he got up in front of the crowd, there's like uh, 800 people or something like that in this auditorium. And he's telling everyone, this guy couldn't even walk in the summertime, which was true. <laughs> Uh, I was pretty sick, but uh, but it was to me it was it was my opportunity to go out and prove that I could that I was back and I wanted to be back and I I wanted to use running to kind of you know prove to myself I can keep doing this stuff because I was I was pretty messed up for quite a while. And, so he, was, and these uh, folks were really relying on you, and he wasn't helping well, matters was at all. <laughs> Yeah, he was not, uh, they were worried about me. And I, I remember talking to him at the storm, like, hey, guys, you got nothing to worry about. I will get us in there. And I, I told him I would come in at 259.30, and I think my time was 259.29. And, uh, you know, it, was, well, it wasn't too bad. It was pretty fun to do. And another thing you did to give back to running, which is so awesome. You know, I want to talk to you a little bit about, you know, I know all these, this stuff, and I, I I highly recommend anybody who's listening, first of all, to go pick up your book. Um, it's 11 years old, but it, the stories in there are phenomenal and it doesn't matter. They apply to today. Um, you know, we may be more technically advanced today and, and all the running stuff, but these are, these are true to life, heartwarming, heartfelt stories that are in your book. Sure. So go back and read that. But I want to talk to you about some stuff today. You know, what's going on in the world today is in running and, and get your impression. I know, sure. and I, I've seen you talk. I saw you in Kansas City several yeah. years ago. 
Um, we were doing, we were there with Runner's Edge. We did a road okay, trip. Yeah. Of course, Maui. And I was so frustrated that day because you're like the mayor of running and the superstar. They throw you up in this room where nobody knew how to get up there. So I ran but down you, and tried to drag people up there saying, uh, hey, come on, man. Yeah, do you well, realize who's up you. there? Yeah, I got you. I do remember that. <laughs> uh, but I had the chance to listen to you a few times. I watched the thing on YouTube last night. Somebody asked you a question about the world record. And I think at that time, the world record five years ago was 202 something. But now it's right. 201.39. And I agree with you that I'm not sure it's going to be broken, but how do you feel about them trying to set up the perfect scenario course to be able to do that? I'm a purist. I mean, yes. if you're going to break two hours, you're going to do it on a race like right. every other world record. Exactly. Is and, you know, it's, it's, well, it won't count as a world record, but it will count as, you know, someone broke two hours. But uh, it, to me, it's the, the beauty of our sport that it is so pure. We don't have we don't have the judges. You know, it's just you against the clock. Even if you're the best runner in the world, bottom line, it's still you against the clock. You, right. know, you have your other competitors that can push you and take you to this other level. But the sport of running is just you against the clock. Right. And, and you know, you got to. To, to do something like that, it has to be in a race. I mean, that's what our sport is. That's when records are broken. Exactly. You know, a lot of people send me stuff. Hey, I've set this running record. I ran a marathon dressed as a hot dog and I, you know, <laughs> did it faster than anyone dressed as a hot dog. And I said, okay, that is a, you can file that as a Guinness record and it's cool that you did this, but that's not a running record. Like right. running records are, You've run faster than anyone else has at this distance. And we have set distances in running that, that you run races at. Those are running records. Uh, so I, yeah, I don't, I'm not buying the uh, sub two hours on something that's contrived and not really a race. I'm glad to hear that because it's it really bothers deal. me, you know, that they're trying to make the perfect condition and perfect course. And not, you know, have other runners there. I want to see it done in, in, a, in an actual marathon, like a London or a Berlin or, you know, whatever. There's some fast courses out there that are, uh, you know, some of the courses like a Boston course, you can't set a world record because it's point to point and net descent and all this stuff. But there are a lot of courses that are uh, world record approved. And uh, that's where all the, you know, that's where stuff should be done. It's going to go down as a record. Yeah. So the next thing I wanted to, to talk to you about, and and I've kind of taken on, at least out here, this the torch on it. It bothers me tremendously, and it's female running safety. I know that, that every year it seems like we get some sort of tragic runner, female runner goes out for a run by herself and, uh, you know, ends up some idiot out there, does something to harm them or or even yeah. uh, in their lives. Uh, we had that woman in Iowa last year, mm -hmm. Molly Tibbetts, yep. and there's just a woman in Germany, I think a scientist yeah. that was over there. But we started doing some female running self-defense classes out here with a professional self-defense instructor. And we've been getting some, getting some good response on that. I wanted to, to ask you your opinion on some of the things that females can do to protect themselves, because I know a lot like to go out on their own. Yeah, you know, I, I always knew it was a problem. And, you know, when I started running 40 
three years ago and doing races, there were not a lot of women in the sport. And now there's a lot of races that have more women than men. And a lot of running clubs and running groups have more women than men. So, you know, the, the women are out there and they should have the opportunity to run safely. But I'm sad to say they do not. Uh, my girlfriend, Ann, you know, she uh, she worries when she's out there alone. So I try to run with her every opportunity I can. She's faster than I am, so I can't keep up with her. But we run the same course and I know right where she's at. And, you know, we always have our phones with us uh, to communicate if we had to. And then sometimes she's doing a longer or faster workout. I'll get on my bike and go out while she's out there running. Uh, it makes me sad that she just doesn't have that freedom to go run. And I never felt threatened in my life. So, you know, it's uh, it makes me sad. Uh, but women have to do things like run with a group, be aware of the surroundings, do not go out there and run alone just down some road or or run this at the same time every day on the same course. People know exactly where you are. Do not use tracking devices that you post your run that starts at your home. Right. And finishes at your home. I mean, you're basically putting out on the Internet exactly where you live and where you can be found. I mean, there's certain things that you have to do to be smart about the way you do things. But it's a sad thing in society that this goes on. It just breaks my heart, to be honest. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. It breaks my heart too. And it, it, it just thoroughly upsets me. And, uh, it's very unfair for females. And, and one other item, I know that people like to listen to music and even podcasts. Mm-hmm. There may be somebody listening to this podcast while they're running. And, uh, I, I learned my lesson probably when I went through the RRCA coaching program. They're not proponents, of course, of, of running sure. uh, with headphones. But, uh, you know, a lot of women run with headphones and you got your ear ears plugged. And it's not only for safety as far as self-defense, but it's also, you know, cars and obstacles yep. and all that out there. I did uh, have a chance to find finally a set of headphones that I would recommend. Those are, they're the aftershocks, so they don't fit into yep. your lobes. And I think they're probably the best thing if somebody's going to be running out there with these things. Yes, I agree with you, Jim. Aftershocks are very cool. Uh, my girlfriend uses them. She's in nursing school and she actually listens to audio tapes of her, what she has to study for her, for school. And, uh, so, you know, we make sure that she only has one ear or, or just has her aftershocks that her ears aren't covered and that she can hear her, you know, what's going on around her. I think that is uh, absolutely, uh, the proper way to do it. When I pitched this story idea and when the internet really took off and, uh, I really wanted to do women's safety at, uh, some stories at runner's world. And I was told by a lot of the women at runner's world that I was making it a thing about women, that it's, you know, guys can have problems too. And I, I was disagreeing with these women. I was like, I don't know. I, I never felt threatened in my life, but a lot of women that I know that are runners have been threatened or they feel threatened or they, you know, they're being whistled at or whatever it is. And, uh, I, I was shocked how I was fought on this topic that, uh, that I was making a big deal out of something that wasn't a big deal. And then eventually it kind of turned because there were some of these incidents later on where 
when I went missing, and then all of a sudden, then it was a big deal. But I was, uh, I was shocked that people didn't feel the same way I did about the the subject. To be honest, I, and these were women that worked at Runners Wash. Right when I when I talked, uh, I interviewed the self defense instructor. We did a whole episode on it, and uh, what she said was, women can go out and do all this stuff. Problem is, is that they have to look over their shoulder all the time. It's not right. like you, you, you and I can go out and run. And I, and I know this, I don't feel threatened. And, you know, if somebody came up to me, I might change my whole mind. If somebody came up and jumped out of the bushes, it, and it certainly could happen, but right. chances are it's not going to happen to me. I don't really have anything to give to these people. And so she said that, uh, you know, you just be smart. That's all you got to do is be smart out there and yeah. go out and enjoy your run. Very good advice, Jim. So the other the other topic uh, that I wanted to talk to you about, it's been coming up lately and, and then really came to light a few weeks ago. I think it was about three weeks ago. You know, Marathon Investigations is really putting a mm-hmm. focus on people cheating at marathons. And I don't get it. I really don't get it because you're running against yourself. I do get upset if they take away an award from somebody who deserves sure. that award in a place. But but Frank Menza or Meza from LA Marathon, he ran the LA Marathon and that became a big issue. And I, killing himself. It's yeah. Cool. Yeah. Well, um, you know, I maybe you could say something about people who think they want to go out there sure. and cheat. Why? Why do you do it? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I don't understand the cheating. I think people just get caught up in it. But if People that cheat, that do something like this, that cheat on a race and to do, they have something wrong in their life and they need help. So the last thing we should do is after they do this is just beat them up on the Internet like they need help. Obviously, they should be disqualified from the race. Obviously, they should be taken out of the results. Obviously, they should not be recognized at all for the running part of it. But we should not just trash these people till they end up committing suicide. I mean, right. that's just, there's obviously something wrong in their life. Something is, they, they got a mental issue problem or something, something is wrong. So we should be trying to get them help, not just vilify them on the internet. That's, that is what we should learn from this past episode. Yeah. It was very, very unfortunate for him. And I, you know, I know it gained more and more steam after he ran the LA marathon and, I can't remember um, the name of the other fellow that uh, who's been out there and he's he's 70 some years old. He's been Mm -hmm. trying to beat the record and he did in Jacksonville, but it wasn't a sanctioned course. Gene Dykes, I think, is his name. Oh, yeah. Gene Dykes. Yeah. He's a Philly guy. Yeah. I know. Yeah. He's amazing. Yeah. He's amazing. But he, you know, he does it right. And I, I just don't understand why yeah, it's so important. Gene is legitimate. Yeah. I don't understand where the cheating comes from. Rosie Ruiz. This Mike Rossi guy, uh, you know, there's just something they're missing in their life and they have to prove something. And I think having all this stuff on the Internet, Internet, they get instant fame when they do this. And then their life comes crashing down when people find out they're phonies. And then uh, and then it turns into, you know, it goes down from there. Yeah. But thank God that races are able to do what they do to catch these people. And Derek does his own on the side, which is amazing what he can do to, uh, to eliminate this. And I, you know, the whole idea, I think what Derek would like to do is that it stops 
what he's doing would be to deter other people from doing it because there is some people looking. And I'm sure he has, you know, with some of the stuff he's done. Some of, there may have been more people cheating and they're not doing it anymore because of marathon investigation. That would be um, nice. But I just wish it was not part of our sport, but unfortunately it, it, it is. And to be, you know, I, I don't want it to be really a sad part of our sport. It should be a logistical part that these people are just eliminated from results. And I believe they should be disqualified from future races and uh, things like that. I firmly believe that. I think they should get us, you know, that uh, because sometimes they are really good runners, but they can't do the records that they're taking out to do, or they're never going to make it to Boston and they get into Boston by cheating. I, I don't understand that stuff. It's hard, hard for me to figure out what, how they would feel good about that. But, you know, the only thing I can think of is that they really have uh, something missing in their life and that's what's going on. So yeah. I, think, I think we should steer them to get them some help. And since we are pretty forgiving people in the sport of running, I think we're people to show that uh, they should get some help. I agree a thousand percent on that. The lynch mob is not the way to go that everyone just jump on their people and yeah. people are very easy doing it on the internet because they're not physically confronting someone and their account is like runner or shoe Joe or whatever. It's not their name and they don't care and they just bash people and it's, it's not the right thing to do. Yeah. When Mike Rossi cheated, uh, that was a race in Pennsylvania that I designed the course, but I was not the race director. I was not here that when he did the race, I was not even in town. And uh, I and I was not any part of the race organization. And everyone blamed me. And I'm like, you know, all these people on the Internet beat me up saying they'll never talk to me because I didn't DQ Mike Rossi. I'm like, how do I DQ someone that's uh, – that did a race that I have nothing to do with. I had no idea what these people are, you know, but it, someone started it. One person said it, that I was in charge and I, I'm involved and I should be the person that decues them. And, and, you know, the next thing everyone thinks that's the case. It's just ridiculous. It's absolutely makes people look like idiots to be quite honest. Cause they, they don't know what they're talking about. Right. As a race director, and you know this, you can't control everything. John and I always say when race time comes, we're MacGyvers. We're just tackling any problem that's out there or any issues that are out there. You got that. Yeah. (laughs) To me, as you know, once the race has started, it really is to make sure everybody's safe and that everything is that the course is safe and that everyone out there is safe and that everyone can get back safely. And if there are medical issues or problems that that's getting handled and handled properly. That's what's going on on the day of the race. I really, uh, you know, but you have to set up ways that people can't cheat with the timing equipment we have today. You can do that stuff, but it's, yeah. it's not paramount as a race director. It's not the first thing you think of, Oh, somebody's going to cheat. So we have to do all, you know, you're really thinking about the 99.9% of the runners that don't cheat. And you want them to have the ultimate experience. That's the way I look at race directing. Exactly. Someone does cheat that you can prove that they did cheat. But it's not it's not paramount in the lineup of when you're putting together a race. I really worry about the 99.9% that don't cheat and that are out there trying to have a good time and enjoy themselves and and have a good experience. You know, what I look at putting on the Maui Marathon, the number one one thing for me is is safety 
and we make sure we have plenty of medical and and the course is yep. safe. You've been out here, you've seen our race, and you know that we can't shut the roads down, but we can uh-huh. certainly cone them off so there's a little bit more space for all the runners to run on. So yep. we make our course safe. We make sure that there's plenty of fluids out there for them throughout the whole course because, you know, Hawaii, it's it's cool in the morning with, when you yeah. start at 5 o'clock, but... You Once and the sun, sun comes, comes up, up, whoa, you know, you're you're on a death march then and you got to be sure that there's fluids and that, uh, you know, when people come across the finish line, you got to give them a nice medal and they get a nice shirt and they have a great experience. And that's that's what we want. We want them to have a great experience out here. And in October, we're we're competing against, you know, all these all races, Chicago, oh, yeah. Twin Cities, all of them. And. We seem to have, you know, decent numbers still. Yeah. So we're a destination race. We don't track the elite runners out here. But, uh, yeah. you know, is well, it, you're one of the oldest continuous run marathons in the country. Close. I, we're one of the top three longest uh, west of the Mississippi. Right. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. And yeah. certainly in the top 10 of continuously run marathons. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. It's up there, which is pretty cool. Because I remember one of my... Favorite uh, thing to what running Maui and going to Maui. I always met that guy back in the day, Wild Bill Connor. Mm. I have a photo of Bill and I at the 2013 Maui Marathon, and yeah. he was at that point running his 37th consecutive Maui Marathon. Right. And then I believe he passed away in 2014 or he 15, did. somewhere in there. That was such a shame. He was. Billy Connor. He uh there's stickers out here. Be like Billy. He was the nicest man. Oh, he was a cool dude. He used to send me letters to Runners World. He would send me just like the nicest letter, what is going on with his running. And next time I come to Maui, I gotta meet up with them. And I'm like, this dude is unbelievable. And uh, you know, he did that, he did that race 37 years in a row, which is pretty impressive. Well, he's he also has run the Hunter Relay all by himself. Uh, one of the very few. Yeah, yeah, which is a tough course, and uh, yeah, man, yeah, it's a, teams of six. Uh, last year we had our first female that uh, finished out of forty some years. Finally finished running it solo. Uh, Malia Kraus is her name. She's involved with us out here with the marathon. But Billy, I'll tell you what. One thing about living on this this island is, and and I don't know if you've experienced it where you're at, but it's so hard to get people involved in running as far as the Oh yeah. To to get involved being a race director, putting on a race, volunteering and all that. And yeah. uh we've always discussed putting on a uh a, a Billy Connor memorial run. Um right. got a couple courses set up for that. He gave in his will, he gave a bunch of a bunch of his uh, you know, stuff to Valley Owl Roadrunners. So much oh, he loved running. Yeah. yeah, he was just a cool dude. He always he always found me at these races and just would come up to me with this big smile. I got a cool picture of Billy and I at 2013 Maui Marathon. I'll never forget it. And I, I and you know, to talk about the run community, Jim. When he passed away, somebody knew that I just thought the world of this guy, and someone reached out to me. I got an email that said, "Hey, I want you to know." Billy passed away, and I, I just couldn't believe it. I mean, I thought this guy would live forever. He just had that look about him. You know, he just uh, he just smiled all the time, always seemed happy. But 
you know, we never know. Well, the cancer, cancer got him and, uh, he was, he was going to run the run for the whales. It's a small run that's put on out here. It was a half marathon at that time. It's scaled down to a nine or 10 mile run. Uh, but it's held in February every year during peak whale season. Uh, just, you know, a month after January's marathon that Les puts on out here. You know, he was going to run that and he just wasn't feeling good. And he came and got his bib number and all that. And uh, that following week, like four or five days later, he was dead. Just, yeah. I mean, it, he, it must have been lingering in there and, and it just took him. And he was a well, Hana guy. He lived on the other side of the island. He was in the Yeah. Yeah, just yeah. a just a cool dude. Some uh, one of the joys of the running community, man. I can uh, yep. I saved his picture on my phone. I got a smiling face with it. He's got his arm around me, and I'm doing a shotgun. We're at the start of the Maui Marathon. Can you send that to me? I'd like to put that oh, in the yeah. show notes. Definitely. That would be awesome. For sure. So um, wrapping it up because we're you know, like anything, we could talk about running forever. Yeah. It's amazing. A lot of people that get into running, first of all, they, they're kind of gun shy and, you know, they're afraid they come out to, a, I do a group run every Wednesday night and, you know, you get people, well, I don't want to go out there. I'm not that fast. And I, uh-huh. I want to get into running, but I don't want to, you know, what would you give, what suggestion would you give to people that might be listening to this that may want to get into running or just getting into running? Sure. Yeah, you know, just got to get out there and you'll find someone that you're going to connect with that's just like you. You know, we tend to, I, as I've traveled the globe, and I literally traveled the globe for 31 years at Ronald Well. I went to races all over the world and met with running clubs and running stores and running communities everywhere. And I always found that people tend to gravitate to the group that, so there's, there is the running club or the running store and then they, go to these group runs and they meet people and they tend to gravitate people that are very like them, whether it's they're trying to run fast and make it to Boston or, or they're just happy to be out there or they have young kids or whatever it is, there's some similarity. And then they go, okay, this is my, these are my people. And they end up in these little smaller groups within this big, big group. And I just always tell people just get out there Trust me on this. You will find these people. Everyone thinks, you know, oh, I'll never fit in. I'm not right for this. But uh, once they get out there, then they, you know, we can just get on there. Uh, and then they'll see the difference. And the message I always try to get to people is they're going to inspire other people once they're committed to this sport and start doing things. And they're going to inspire people they may never meet. Uh, you know, maybe a neighbor that's just shy or someone that they work with, but you know, they're, they're using this runner as their inspiration. And that's what's happened to me many times. You know, I get these emails and letters and all this messages about how I inspire these people and, you know, what they've accomplished since then. And it, it's the coolest thing. And, you know, I, I don't know what I did to inspire them, to be honest. I don't know what the connection is, uh, but I always tell people, I want people to know how inspiring they are if they're just willing to get out there and just do what they can do. Uh, you don't inspire anyone staying in your home and locking the door and watching TV. That's not inspiring. Get out there and be active and be part of the community. And trust me, you will inspire people. 
It, it is amazing. And the reason why you inspire people is because you're the mayor of running. Everybody knows you, but your personality, Bart, is what does it. You care about everybody. I mean, look at me. I'm, I'm just a guy, another runner out of the tens of thousands of people that you've met, but you always remembered me. And I think that that's how people feel. They feel a very strong connection with you and that you care about them. You're not out there promoting yourself. You're out there just compassionately caring about people and who they are, no matter who they are. It's just amazing. Oh, thank you. Well, that's, I, you know, I got to do that as a job. I mean, that's hard to imagine. And there's a, several people that are very envious about that part. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I mean, I really did. But I took my job at a crazy level. I really worked hard at it. And I really tried to uh, meet as many people as I could in the sport and, uh, you know, connect as many people as I could in the sport with other people. And uh, I worked my I worked my butt off when I was at Runner's World. I really did go into my office and with the mindset that I was going to work harder, not, not than anyone at runner's world, I was going to work harder than anyone in the running industry. That was my goal. And that's probably how I ended up, you know, I'm in the hall of fame at the Roadrunners club of America distance running hall of fame and in the running USA hall of champions. And when you get nominated and, and get inducted into these things, it's not, you know, I always tell people, I, you know, I was not an Olympic runner or that fast a runner in the big picture. Uh, you know, I was uh, I got inducted into these Hall of Fames because of what I did in the sport. Uh, so, you know, it's not all just about running fast. You can uh, you can do a lot of things in the sport uh, if you just commit and get out there and be part of the sport. You, yes, Thanks. you have done a lot for running in general. And, and, and I, I believe, I truly believe the runner's world is source that it is for runners because of you, the magazine I've that heard, it is. I've heard that a lot from people and I, uh, that makes me happy. I, uh, I worked pretty hard at it for a lot of years and it was fun to do. And you retired two years ago, almost. I retired January, 2018 was my. 18, so. Yeah, January 18th, 2018 was my last day at Runner's World. And, uh, and, you know, their office now is only about a mile from my house. Hard to believe they, uh, they moved their office only about a mile from my house. In fact, I see a lot of Runner's World folks uh, at lunchtime run, and they run right by my house. It's pretty funny. Do you get a chance to go over there and say hi every so often? I yell at them every once. Sometimes I'm in my uh, garage or, you know, going out to get my mail or something. And I, I hear them go by. I yell at them and tell them to keep my pension check coming. Keep keep working hard. I get around with them. And I say a couple of people that I worked with, but a lot of the people I worked with don't work there anymore. So I, I don't have that. I don't know everyone at the office these days. And I and I haven't gone to the office since I walked out and uh January 2018. Mm. I really did want to retire. I didn't want to retire from running. I didn't want to retire from the running community. I just needed to retire from Runner's World. I, I worked hard on my job for a long time and uh, it was pretty arduous the amount of travel I did. And, uh, you know, in the end, I just didn't want to do my job half heartedly. You know, and I had the opportunity to retire. So I took advantage of it. Well, you did everything you needed to do there and you absolutely deserve to be retired and enjoy running and the community for just running in community and not attached with any type of job at that point. 
So that's Thank great. You. By the way, what's uh, talk about your legacy of hope coming up because you got a fundraiser going oh, on. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I uh, I, break, I reached out to this guy Mike Rowe, who I just thought was a really cool dude, and he does this legacy of hope where they help families uh, battling cancer. What they're trying to do right now is people that because they can barely pay their medical bills or they can't even pay their medical bills, they don't have enough money, they're getting evicted from their their homes or their apartments or whatever. And Legacy of Hope is going in there to try to help these people pay their mortgage or pay their rent so they don't get evicted because it's hard enough battling cancer. Um, it's ripping apart these families. So this Legacy of Hope is uh, – is trying to help these people. And uh, my older brother, George, who we talked about, he passed away from cancer. And my older brother, Jerry, is battling cancer right now. So I'm going to run in memory of my brother, George, in honor of my brother, Jerry, and go down to Philly on September 20th. And they're doing 24 hours straight of running the Rocky Steps. Uh, I unfortunately can't be around for the whole 24 hours because I have another commitment. But I'm going to go for the first three hours and do as much running up and down the steps as I possibly can and raise some money for legacy of hope, which I think is an awesome organization. And I just love the whole thing they put together. You know, it's funny. I, I took my girlfriend Ann to, uh, she was never been to Philly and we were at some, uh, Philly marathon function and, uh, she wanted to run the Rocky steps. So I take her to the art museum. She runs up the Rocky steps. She gets to the top and she starts like, dancing like she's doing the floss dance or something like that. I said, I don't think that's what Rocky did. Honey. He was a, a boxer. It was so funny to see what she did, but she was thinking Rocky got up there and celebrated. And I said, well, I don't think he could dance like you. You were dancing. I was dying. But it's amazing how many people, you know, I just live 50 miles north of Philly. Right. And so I go to Philly a lot and I do stuff with the Philly Marathon. And it still amazes me that, People run those steps all the time. I mean, it never ends. And you see tourists come in and they just line up to get a picture with the Rocky and then they get the picture. And then no matter what they're wearing, they run up those steps and do the whole Rocky thing. It's amazing to me. I mean, that movie was quite a while ago, uh, 1976, if I'm not mistaken. Right. And uh, it's still it's such an iconic thing. Uh, it just goes on and on and on. So it is a is a pretty cool location and a pretty good way to to show how we can go out and help these people that are uh, in in tough tough way right now. Well, the, you know the song is still played at a lot of races. Ah, uh, yes, <laughs> Rocky is still. You know, it's a great story. It's the the I I I never watched all the Rocky sevens or whatever it ended up being, but Rocky one the original movie and the book is really a cool story. It is. And, uh, you know, it is that story that everyone loves, the underdog, the guy that, you know, no one gave a chance. Everyone said was a bum and no, you'll never do it. And, and all the things were against this person. And somehow they overcome it all. And, you know, it reminds me a lot, a lot of running, to be honest. And uh, it is a, it is a pretty powerful story. Yeah, it's uh, crazy that all those movies, I think Rocky, Saturday Night Fever, Star Wars, all them came out around the same time, I think. Yeah, it's interesting. But yeah, I liked Rocky. I thought that was a pretty powerful movie. I'm, yeah, my favorite, favorite running movie favorite. is uh, Spirit of the Marathon, the first one. 
Oh, yeah. I love that. I thought that was one of the most motivating kind of documentary thing, Chicago Marathon. And I I remember when I was running marathons, I would go out and have whatever pasta or whatever I was having the night before. I'd go back to my room and I would watch that movie and it would get me fired up for the marathon the next day. There you go. I like that, Jim. So, well, Bart, uh, first of all, congratulations on your induction to uh, Road Run, Run Runners of America. Um, yeah, Road Runners Club of America. Yeah, and also um, the Hall of Fame uh, that you're yeah. in. Uh, you very well deserved all of that. I know you're going to just continue on. People, yeah, you got a big social media following. Uh, I try to stay connected on social media. I do the best I can. Uh, I really want to stay connected to the running community because I gain great inspiration and friendship and, and uh, out of the running community. So I want to stay connected. Uh, that's one thing that drives me nuts is the social media. It's, it's so fast and furious. I'm trying to figure oh. it all out. I, okay. I used to be okay. big on Twitter, but now I, I don't do that. I guess Instagram is the one. Now that yeah, Instagram's on. pretty popular these days. I'm pretty active on Instagram, but yeah. I, I get so many messages through Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and so many tags and posts. I I, I honestly love it because it's all positive stuff. So it it is amazing, but it is I, you do have to stay up on it because I uh, thank God it shows up on my phone because I always have my phone with me so I can stay up with the stuff. Right, so, exactly. Okay. Well. Um, Thank you so much, Bart. I appreciate your friendship. I appreciate you coming on. I appreciate what you do for the running community. And uh, good luck in Kauai out there. Yeah. With that again, get some golf in when you're out there. And yeah, uh, I tried, yeah. I'll Thanks. be talking to John and uh, we'll see what we can do about getting you out here for the 50th. Uh, I think well, that would be a good thing. We got Peter Sago. He's going to be running our marathon this oh, year. Yeah. Peter's a yeah, he's a great guy. He's a very talented person, and uh, he loves running. That's cool. Yeah, I love his book, good. too. Did you read his book? Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Peter's a really good man. He's such a talented person. Radio, writing, running, he does it all. He's, he's a really engaging person. Pretty cool guy. Looking forward to meeting him out here. He's going to do a little talk and a little book signing while he's here, too, and uh, oh, cool. And spend a nice little vacation with his wife. So that's good. That's the way to do it. Yeah. That's, that's the beauty of going to Hawaii. You you live vacation every day. <laughs> I'm, I'm jealous. I, I, I do not uh, take that for granted, believe me. Yeah, good for you, Jim. All right, Jim, Bart. Thank you very much. Everything, all the best with Feel Good Running Podcast and all you're Thanks. doing with the Pally Isle Roadrunners. Keep up the great work. And thank you for having me. Thank you, Bart. Appreciate it. Thanks. It. Thanks. Thanks.